Serena Williams. Everyone, even the most sports-averse, even the most sports-illiterate, knows Serena Williams. Ever since she burst onto the professional scene at age 14, she has dazzled the world with her strength and skill, determination, and success. It's hard to believe, but she won her first Grand Slam in 1999 at the age of 17. Since then, she has been ranked number one in the world by the Women's Tennis Association 319 weeks. It's over six years. She has held all four Grand Slam titles at the same time twice. And she has won more matches than all but four women in the history of the sport. And that given that she would often turn down matches for which she qualified so she could focus on Grand Slams. For me and many other women, Serena Williams is more than just an incredible tennis star. She's also a very personal shero. I remember watching her as a young girl and being just amazed that she was not afraid to be strong. She wore clothes designed to highlight her muscles, to make her look like a superhero, and avoided outfits designed just to make her look sexy. She was aggressive on the court and refused to modulate her behavior to conform to societal norms of demure femininity. She was always clear and determined on and off the court. And I remember thinking as a teenager when I thought that the recipe for success was to just try to be like everyone else that it was pretty remarkable. She didn't play by anyone else's rules. She didn't try to be like anyone else. She was just confident and comfortable in her own skin. And people loved her for that. Last week, as I'm sure many of you have seen, if not all of you, uh, Serena announced that after decades of dominating the tennis world, she's decided to evolve and will soon be stepping back from playing professional tennis. She made this announcement in Vogue magazine, which is just kind of epic and awesome. And I saw the article titled, Serena says, Farewell to tennis on her own terms and in her own words. I expected to read one more Serena Slam, a powerhouse woman just sharing how she's moving on with confidence and joy to the next chapter of her life. I was really surprised reading the article to see how much pain and vulnerability is wrapped up in this choice. As Serena writes in this Vogue article, I have been reluctant to admit to myself or anyone else that I have to move on from playing tennis. Every time it comes up, I get an uncomfortable lump in my throat and I start to cry. I know a lot of people are excited about and look forward to retiring. 
I really wish I felt that way. There is no happiness in this topic for me. I feel a great deal of pain. It is the hardest thing I could ever imagine. Why is Serena leaving tennis? It's not because she's over it. It's not because she's achieved everything she dreamed of achieving and not because she can't do it anymore. She has games she wants to play, records she wants to beat, and her body is still strong and capable. No. Serena has decided to stop playing tennis professionally because she realizes she cannot do that and become a mother again. Serena fought to have it all. When she was pregnant with her daughter, Olympia, she not only played in the Australian Open, she won the Australian Open. She survived a deeply traumatic birth, clawed her way back from a C-section and multiple pulmonary embolisms that left her bedridden for weeks and weeks on end to make it back to a Grand Slam final. She played while breastfeeding. She played through postpartum depression. She played through recovery. And yet all of that took a toll on her body and took a toll on her game. As she shared recently, I never wanted to have to choose between tennis and a family. I don't think it's fair. If I were a guy, I would not be writing this because I'd be out playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. Maybe I'd be more of a Tom Brady if I had that opportunity. Reading her article, I just couldn't stop thinking about the injustice of it all. It's really not fair. It is not fair that bringing human beings into this world requires such a toll on women's bodies. It's not fair that men like Tom Brady and Roger Federer get to just play their game and not worry about it. Sure, they're supportive partners and sure, they're supportive dads, but they don't have to take weeks or months off. They get to keep competing. No worries. It's unfair that women like Serena Williams have to pause their careers. Can't just continue and that having children and bringing a family into this world often derails their progress and impedes their success. But this just isn't fair for Serena Williams or for women to want to build families. This, this is an injustice that we all face. Because all of us at some point or another, no matter how hard we work, no matter how many resources we accrue, are going to come up against a moment where we think that we should have or should be able to do something that we just can't do, and that's going to be so unfair. Life is unfair. If you're a student, you know this. You know that it's just 
not possible to do every single extracurricular activity that you love. It's not possible to take every single class and do all of your homework and go to every single party and spend all of your time that you want with your friends. Something's got to give. If you're an employee, you get this too. It's just not possible to respond to every single email immediately and be accessible on text and retain your focus and create a work-life balance and schmooze with your colleagues. Something's got to give. If you're a parent, you know this deeply. Over the pandemic, we've pretended that it was possible to work full-time and parent full-time. But we saw those moms screaming in the park. We know it's just not possible. You can't be 100% focused on work and 100% focused on your child and feel 100% sane. Something's got to give. And then there's health. So many of us struggle with physical incapacity, with moments in which our body should be able to do things if only it could do these things, with mental health challenges. We yearn for relationships that we don't have, or we yearn for the relationships that we do have to be different. We feel lonely, or we feel smothered, and whatever we feel, we feel like there's something else we should have. If only. Why is life so unfair? What do we do when we come up against these limitations? When Moses comes up against the limitations of his life, he struggles. Moses is epic. He led the people out of Egypt. He got to talk to God face to face. He transmitted the Torah not once, but twice. His life was a superstar life, and yet when he gets to the end and all he wants to do is go into the land and God says no, he breaks down. According to Devarim Rabbah, Midrashic text, Moses draws a circle in the ground and he sits down and he says, I am not going to move God until you give me my due. That doesn't work. And then Moses says, God, you said in your Torah that if you do the right thing, you get the reward. You do the thing, you get the reward. I did the thing. Give me my reward. Also doesn't work. And then Moses says, please, 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 God, please just, what if you just made me like a beast of the field? What if I could just graze on the land? I, I won't be a human. I'll just go in as a cow or a goat or something, please. And God says, no. Moses says, what? How about if I'm just a bird? I'll just fly over the land. I'll just fly. Please. God says, no. Moses just cannot accept that limitation. He cannot accept the injustice of it. And this perspective makes total sense. It's not fair. If anyone deserved to go into the land, it was Moses. But the more he focuses on what he can't have, the more miserable he becomes. That's true for Moses, and that's true for us. The more we focus on what we don't have, on what we can't have, on what we wish we could have, 
the more angry and resentful and bitter we become, and the less pleasant our life is. That's why the Buddhists teach their noble truths. Have you heard of the noble truths? First noble truth, life is suffering. Just start out, accept it. Life is not fair, life is full of suffering. That's what it is. Noble truth number two, suffering is created by attachment to desire. We feel suffering when we want something that we don't have and that we can't have. And the distance between what we want and what we have is so great that causes us to suffer. Which brings us to the third noble truth. If you are able to release your attachment to desire, you won't suffer. If you can stop always living in the land of what if and if only and please and why not, and instead celebrate the potential of every moment. Celebrate the goodness of what is. And your life will be full of blessing. So the, the noble truth in sum, life is not fair. If you perseverate over it not being fair, you will be miserable, but if you don't and you just celebrate what is, life will be good. Moses got this way before the noble truths. After his whole episode with God, he recognizes that just focusing on not being able to go into the land is not doing anything for his inner spiritual life. The more he perseverates on that limitation, the more miserable he feels and the more miserable everyone around him feels. So he changes up his game. He starts reflecting not on what he can't have, but on what the blessings of his past are. He reflects on his achievements. He reflects on the achievements of the Jewish people. He thinks with them about the legacy he wants to leave behind. And as he focuses on the blessings of what he has, his perspective shifts. He starts praying and feeling close again with God. He even writes a psalm in which he gives us the Jewish noble truth. Limnot yamenu ken hoda. The Navi Levav Chachma. Teach us, he beseeches God, teach us to treasure each day. Teach us to give thanks for all of the blessings in our life. Teach us to be present to all of the goodness that we have. That is how we gain a heart of goodness. If you're a student, you can do this. Stop trying to do everything. Pick out the things that you love most. Pick out the things that honor who you are. Be grateful for what you've got. If you're an employee, you can do this. Stop worrying about the pings and the dings and all the people that might need you and all the things you should be doing and could be doing. Be present in the moment. Focus on your task. You are enough. Give thanks for what you've got. If you're a parent, you can do this. Don't try to be doing all things and being all things in every moment. Just be present in the moment. You are enough. You're doing the right thing. Give thanks for what you've got. 
if you're yearning for health or wealth or fame or time or joy, take a moment to come back to center. Stop thinking of what could be what should be. Instead, give thanks for what you've got. That's what Serena is doing. She says she's not retiring. She's evolving. She's moving towards the blessings of a new chapter. Sure, there's some grief involved in that. But she's celebrating the blessings of her career. She's celebrating the joy of being a mother and being present and trusting that more blessings are going to flow her way from the universe. We're not all tennis superstars like Serena Williams, but we all have the capacity to evolve. Life may not be fair, but it is a game. Play your cards, hit your balls, and give thanks for what you've got.